Ooh, can you smell that, Zach? Can you smell it in the air? Can you feel it through the snow that's kind of melting here in Cleveland? Can you sense it? Baseball is back, and it is the Selby is Godcast. I'm TJ Zuby. He's Zach Meisel. We are from the ever-growing athletic, and we will talk about that coming up later in the podcast. But Zach, my friend, we have reached the point where they're actually going out on a field and throwing a ball around. So I guess baseball's back. It's kind of bittersweet, isn't it? I mean, I know it's been a maddening offseason. Nothing has happened. But just from our perspective, like, and we love our jobs. I don't want to sound like this is complaining, but man, it's such a different vibe when you know you have just this eight-month grind ahead of you and comparing that to the offseason where it's just so slow and nothing happens and it's cold and you don't want to go outside and it's like, well, for the next eight months, uh, we've got a lot to pay attention to and a lot to cover. We do. It's also great that first time you get to Arizona that year, that just when spring training begins and you walk off the plane, you get outside and the, the air smells different. Everything's different when you get to Arizona. It's just a different sense. And some of that worry about the, the upcoming eighth month, eight month, nine month, 10 month grind, depending on what team you cover, uh, some of that washes away a little bit, and I think it just kind of feels good. You know, you, you, you put aside the worries that are going to be ahead, and yes, every team has, has problems, and we'll get into those coming up. The Indians have a few that they're going to have to be worrying about and hopefully getting an answer to this year, but there's just something therapeutic about getting out there. When you, when you just arrive and you go get your rental car, you get checked in, you head to the ballpark, it's it's like you're you're on a different planet. I, I feel like I'm <laughs> every time I go there, I feel like I'm on a different planet, or I'm you, I'm circling the Earth in orbit, just watching Cleveland from afar. It's really weird. What's hilarious is you're describing the opposite of my experience from last year because when I landed in Phoenix, there was a torrential downpour, which never happens out there, <laughs> and then the rental car place. I got in late at night, and all they had left was a Toyota Yaris, which is like. They've given those away on – I watch The prices Right religiously. They give those away on The prices Right sometimes, and it's like the cheap – like people aren't even happy when they win it. And so I'm stuck with this Toyota Yaris, and I'm driving – it's about like a 25-minute drive um, from the airport to Goodyear. And, and it's all a straight shot on the highway. And like 10 minutes into my drive, I hear this rumbling noise, and I look in my, my side mirror, and the bumper is just hanging off the back bumper. So – obviously it was it was like that when I picked up the car and it was just like the worst possible half hour after landing in Arizona which is supposed to bring all those wonderful things you mentioned um last year was not the case but I I do think for on most occasions it's really it's it's the sunshine it's like oh I don't mind getting up at 6 a.m and getting to the complex really early because it's so nice and sunny out and we can just stand on a field and watch guys play catch and like it's it's I think it's impossible not to be in a better mood just because of just kind of the atmosphere, especially when you're coming from Cleveland and it's cold and snowy. I think my first year out in Goodyear was 2010, maybe um, going out there to to cover things. And it was out there for a couple weeks. And when we were there, one of the days it rained. And like you said, it never rains out there. And. 
since it was a, a rainy day, the, the, the game got canceled. Um, so there's nothing to do. Once the game's over and everything takes place in the morning, you're done for the day. And that's the great thing about spring training is by sometimes four o'clock, you're done for the day. Uh, so we were trying to figure out what to do. We said, let's, let, let's go bowling. Let's go see a movie. And so we decided, okay, let's go to the bowling alley. And it was a little bit too far to walk. So we called up a, a cab place, taxi place to come pick us up. This is pre-Uber, of course. And so we're, we're in the lobby waiting around, shooting the you-know-what as we're just waiting for the, the taxi to get there. An hour goes by, still no taxi. And uh, the guy I was there with ends up calling the, the taxi place to say, what, what's going on? We, we requested a ride. And they said, sir... You'll have, to, you'll have to be patient with us. You have to understand with this inclement weather that we're having, it's really setting back <laughs> our drivers. Zach, it was freaking raining. It, that's it. It wasn't even a, a torrential <laughs> downpour. It was just an average rain that you see every other day in Cleveland in spring. No difference. And we were told we had to be patient because the inclement weather was making things difficult for our drivers. Well, our driver, I think we finally went to a different place. We got a different cab company. A guy came, picked us up. And he was explaining to us that a, a big issue with when it rains is because, because it never rains there. Once the, the, it actually does rain, the oils that are left on the road because it's just been baking under the sun makes it like you're driving around on ice. And the other thing that he said that just blew my mind is that they, they have to replace their windshield wipers quite frequently in Arizona. And I'm thinking, why? It never rains. He explained that it's because the sun beats down on the rubber or whatever that, that material is on the windshield wiper and bakes them so that when you go to use them, they break off because they haven't been used. So you hmm. use your windshield wiper like three times before you have to go back to the store and get a new one. And that, it, it just blew my mind that that's an issue that they have in Goodyear, Arizona, that they have to go get windshield wipers replaced frequently because they just don't use them. And if it rains, it's inclement weather. Yeah. So, so the one thing about spring training is there are no there, – there's like one day off of spring. And so it, it does – it does get a little monotonous, especially once you get into March and you get into the thick of the schedule. And I still don't understand why teams play like 30 spring training games. It, it seems like overkill. But, um, you know, you, you never really get that day off like you do once every week or two during the season. And so I can remember a few years ago it rained and they canceled the game, sent everybody home, and it's like 10 or 11 in the morning. And it, that happens so infrequently that – that they were just like, okay, well, this isn't going to happen again the rest of the spring. We can afford to just cancel today's activities. And then it stopped raining like five minutes later, and it was sunny and 80 the rest of the day. And, like, those are the best because you can actually take advantage of the weather. I mean, we're, we're cooped up in the media workroom or in the press box so much that it's – people ask me, are you, oh, are you going to bring your golf clubs? Are you going to go hike these mountains? It's like, no, we don't really have free time. You don't have days off, and, and there's stuff to cover every single day. But when you do get that random – little 10 minute shower that cancels the day's activities, man, there's nothing better. And plus you're getting up, as you said, every day at the, the butt crack of dawn and you don't really mind it because like you said, it's, it's nice outside and you're getting to go cover baseball, but it makes it so that by the time seven or eight o'clock rolls around, you're, you're like, okay, let's, let's wrap things up and get to bed. I'm, I'm ready for it. Especially if you've been sitting out in the sun at any point during the day 
And if anybody has ever been to a game in Goodyear, Arizona, when you see the herd of cattle that is all of us running down to the side of the of the gate to go run on the field to go talk to the manager uh, to to get some post game comments. You have seen us on occasion get trapped in a situation where it's the top of the ninth. The game gets tied. We're stuck down there for another half inning. We weren't prepared for this. We're baking under the sun. We're not used to being in the sun. We just can't handle these elements. And so that might take a little bit out of us too. But it does make for, as you said, a a situation where you have some long days. And I don't think people quite realize how much different it is than the regular season. Of course, there isn't a... That, that sense of dread every single time you give up a run or you lose a game uh, or, or somebody strikes out with the bases loaded because everybody's there to just have a good time and remember the baseball, real baseball that actually counts is on the horizon. But I thought today, Zach, with you know, a lot of different things that we'll cover, especially over the, the next several weeks too, we'll get into some of the, the major storylines with this team. But today, I think we should take at least a, a few minutes to take people through an average day what we do in Goodyear, and let's try to make it sound like we're being a lot busier than we are, just in case any of our bosses are listening. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that alarm clock comes pretty early every day, and I'll never forget. <laughs> you know, there, there's, I think there are two factions in the, the Cleveland Indians media, spring training media. There's, there's the faction that goes out every night and has a good time and, and goes and grabs a late dinner and, and goes and grabs some drinks at it seems like there's there's one bar in Goodyear. It's Marley's. It's where Terry Francona grabs a burger every night. It's where a lot of media people and, and players go to, to grab some drinks. Um, but it, it you don't realize like like my first year covering spring training, I don't know, five or six years ago, I, I was a couple years out of college. Like I could handle being out <laughs> till one or two and then getting up at six or seven and going to the complex. And it's amazing how quickly that caught up to me and how even the thought of that makes me just want to hurl. Um, it, it's, it's early, and it's because the players get in there early, and before games start, they're, they're out of there early to mid-afternoon. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, we, we have media availability or clubhouse access. There, there's a morning session, and then, what, what would you say, an, an hour or so, 45 minutes yeah, to an hour? yeah at like 7 a.m. usually. Um, and then we'll we'll meet with the manager usually around like 9 or 9.30. And then there's another round of clubhouse availability after that. And, and that's usually the time when guys are doing whatever's on their task list that day, whether it's throwing a bullpen session, uh, taking batting practice, doing one of Brad Mills' PFP drills. or, or I mean, there, there's different stuff every day. And the thing that always amazes me is all the coordination and the scheduling and Brad Mills has everything just laid out for every player days and days in advance. So, I mean, he knows, and think of how many players there are because you've got obviously the big league camp and then the minor leaguers do their thing. And you've got guys on five different fields uh, behind the complex doing stuff. So it's, it's, there's a lot going on and yet it's all pretty laid back (laughs) and, and it's, it's makes it such an enjoyable environment to cover it is you don't even at least it, it doesn't for me really set in how many players are around camp not just in the big league section but the minor league section too until you go walk around those minor league fields is because usually when we're focused on the big league 
camp. We, we go in there, as you said, in the morning. We get our stuff done. We talk to Tito. Then maybe we come back. We need something, a follow-up, whatever. Then we're in the room writing for a couple hours. Maybe go grab lunch. Then we're off to uh, wherever the Indians are playing, whether it's just up the road in Goodyear or somewhere else around so, you know, within 20, 30 minutes. And then we're out of there. And then if, if you ever take an opportunity, like last year when – Michael Brantley was playing in some of those B games and playing with minor leaguers and you, you just stay behind. You get a, a, that true sense of when all those minor leaguers start coming out and it's, it's like an anthill. They just keep coming. Um, <laughs> you go walk around those, those fields and there are, you've got people from the front office, you've got analytics people, you've got teams, scouts, you've got front office people, you've got coaches, you've got uh, trainers. I mean, there are people just everywhere and you're just watching these games, and it, it feels like a high school game. It feels like you're just sitting around. It's so cool because you can sit basically right behind a fence, uh, and you're, what, 20 feet away from the action that's happening on some of these minor league fields as they go through inter-squad games and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a completely different environment. It, it takes away, you know, when you're covering the major sport, there's always that line that they, they try to maintain where they, they want to give us access, but still, you know, they, they're trying to, to keep that for the – for the players and the coaches, that, that level of privacy, a lot of that gets taken away in spring. And you just kind of, if you need something, you go walk up to somebody. You see people walking around all the time just on their way to go do other things. And as you said, the scheduling that takes place, there's that huge uh, uh, bulletin board that as you walk into the clubhouse is there. And it is covered. I mean, how big is that thing? And it is covered from one square inch to the bottom square inch in papers and schedules. If you need to know where somebody's at, you go in there, you take a picture, and you can just cross-reference that, and that's exactly where you can find that person. It is unbelievable the amount of things that they get done out there. Yeah, you know, my favorite thing is just the people you can just stand and talk to while all this is going on because you'll see Mike Chernoff or Chris Antonetti standing there and just observing, and then one day you'll see Mike Hargrove or you'll see Grady Sizemore or, or Travis Hafner. I mean, it, it's, it's the people you run into – who are just there to either observe things or, or give some perspective or just hang out. Um, you, you can run into people who have some sort of connection to the Indians uh, and, and have some insight to share. And it's, it's, yeah, it's just that atmosphere, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting too, because you always hear players say how excited they are for the first spring game. It's like the first day of school. And um, personally, I actually enjoy the days before games start. I think it's just, even more laid back and there's more, more downtime. And I think players are more apt to spend time with us just because they don't have a million other things on, on their docket. But um, just, it, it's funny the juxtaposition between how players feel in mid to late February about spring training and they feel refreshed and rejuvenated and it's exciting to get back there. And then you start playing 10, 15 <laughs> spring training games and it's like March 12th. And they're all like, oh, my God, I got to get the hell out of here. Um, just because it just beca it be becomes so monotonous and, and tedious to an extent. And and you're itching to, to get to games that matter. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, I'm feeling great right now. And, like, I'm hitting the ball all over the field. But I still have two more weeks of these games that don't mean anything before I can actually do this on a real field that, that counts. So it, it's it's always funny to me just how – we talk about sunshine and smiles and rainbows in February. And then like, it's like March 16th and they're all like, Oh my God, get me to safe go field. This is ridiculous. Uh, that last week of spring training is hilarious because it looks like 
the last week of school that everyone has gone through where the lockers are getting packed up, the teachers aren't assigning much homework. In some cases, maybe the exams are even already done. The, the students don't want to be there. The teachers don't want to be there. Nobody wants to be there. And that's like the last week of spring training because they've, they've sent some of the minor leaguers to their side of the camp. So the, the locker room is, is half as full, if even that. A lot of the, the guys that were competing for spots either know that they're going to make the team or they haven't made the team. And you have clubbies in there packing stuff up and there's just empty lockers everywhere. And so it's a completely different situation as opposed to the beginning of camp. Uh, but I, you know, I, I imagine there are some players that, that enjoy having this, this long spring training. And, and maybe even this year, some of the free agents that are still out there are, are thankful that this thing lasts for quite a while. But then, then you have guys that are, are trying to make the team or trying to impress and they need every single one of these games. Um, and I talked to Nick Goody uh, at length uh, at Tribe Fest and he was talking about maybe one of the reasons why he felt he burned out in, in June and July is because he came to camp feeling like I've got to prove myself on day one. And he came in there out of the gate at 100 miles per hour knowing that he needed every single one of those opportunities to show what he could do. And he ended up getting sent to AAA at the beginning of the year, but then he obviously got called up and, and then was there to stay. And I'm sure that's like that for a lot of, of players. And then you have players like, like last year with Michael Brantley, and this has been the case for him the last few years, where he needs every single one of these games to, to get himself right, to prove that he's going to be healthy, that he can start the season on time. And just a, a quick spring story to share, because I, I can't remember if you were there or not at this point last year uh, was when we were pretty late into the process of trying to figure out whether or not Brantley was going to be on the, the roster. And he had just played in one, another one of those minor league side sessions and he came off the field and he, his body language just wasn't good. And I remember t talking to MLB.com's Jordan Bastion about it and him and I were just looking at him and seeing his body language. And then he was called in, he was talking to the trainer and we're thinking, oh boy, what's happened now? He doesn't look happy. He's talking to the trainer. Then he came out and he sat in his locker and he and, J and Josh Tomlin were the only two people left in the locker room. And there was like three or four of us just sitting there waiting for Brantley as he's sitting in his locker, he slumped over his heads down. And we're thinking, what, what, what could have happened? Is there a setback? Does he need another surgery? Is he get, did he just get told he's not going to make the opening day roster? And, and then you have Josh Tomlin, who you know is, is everybody's favorite guy, sitting there next to him, talking to him. You're like, oh, boy, if there's anybody that would be sitting next to him after some bad news, it would be Tomlin. And then eventually Tomlin looked over, saw all of us kind of just huddling over, and, and his southern draw said, hey, you, you better go talk to these guys who are sitting here waiting. So Josh Tomlin even says, hey, go talk to these guys that are sitting here waiting. Finally came up to us. He was very short in some of his answers, didn't seem very happy. And then the next day we learned that he was going to be on the opening day roster and everything was fine. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's what makes it funny because you're never quite sure. You think you have a grasp on, on who's making the roster, who isn't, who's impressing and who's not. And even when you're sitting there trying to read body language and stuff in spring, it's it's difficult, but certainly uh, guys like Brantley and, and maybe a guy like Kipnis this year, they're going to look forward to having that little bit of extra time because they're going to need it to, to prove that they're over whatever they were battling last year and for Brantley to prove that he's ready to start the season on the roster. I do enjoy talking to people who are involved in competitions, especially a lot of like the, the guys signed to 
minor league deals who are competing for a bullpen spot or something like that. Just because they're like putting yourself in their shoes, they have to be, I don't know if miserable is the right word, but like every single day I'd be going home and be like, oh my God, did I pitch well enough today? Like did, did Carl Willis, was he watching when I, when I threw those three really good sliders? Um, did they see me blow away Yandy Diaz? Like, I would just be going crazy with, with what you do every single day. And you're basically, you have a six week audition and you don't know until the very end. So it's, it's, that's just gotta be, I don't know, take a, take a toll on you mentally. And kind of like you mentioned with, with Goody last year. Um, and I remember with, uh, but, we've had, you also create those situations where they had to tell Blake Wood that he made the team on the mound because he was freaking out in the middle of the game. Yeah. <laughs> he had just walked, I think a couple of guys and, and I think it was Mickey or Tito. Somebody said, hey, can we, can we just tell this guy that he's on the roster so he calms down a little bit? Yeah. It, it's just, you know, you look around the clubhouse and they're just, everybody has a different perspective. Everyone has a different goal in mind and, and it kind of has a different status on the, the roster hierarchy. So it's interesting to talk to these guys involved in these competitions. You know, the 36 year old guy looking for one last shot, like Scott Atchison a few years ago. Or the young guy who's in big league camp for the first time trying to make an impression. We've seen Tyler Naquin and Yadi Diaz succeed in that realm. Um, and then, yeah, the, the veterans who are trying to stay healthy or prove themselves themselves, and like Kipnis or Brantley um, or, or Melvin Upton. And then some of the guys who, like, like what does Lindor need to do this spring? Well, like, what does Jose Ramirez need to do? I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like if, if for those guys, it's more difficult because you've got to find things to get better at over the next six weeks, and that might be difficult to pinpoint. Yeah, for, I'm, I'm wondering how much different things would be for Brantley. Um, trying to remember who else in the clubhouse. So Santana was was caught up in the, the World Baseball Classic too, uh, Andrew Miller. But the guys that don't have to go through that this year, you know, there's always been that talk, you know, that that wonder of what that that sort of environment does to players you know does does it lead to injuries does it lead to a guy burning out in the middle of the season because they they went through and played competitive games in the the world baseball classic really early the yeah, Vinny so, pistano conundrum yeah there's always that and, and i think there are a number of of things like that that we can point to you know did did andrew miller aggravate his knee later in the year because he was throwing more pitches early yeah I, I don't know and we really probably will never know but it does create a a different situation for those guys but there were also instances where that helped last year because there were guys that got more opportunities and and I remember even Tito talking about Bradley Zimmer I, I don't know if, if Bradley Zimmer would have been as ready as he was to make the jump to the majors when they called him up if he didn't get all that time in spring to to hit the ball well and gain some confidence and and so well, a lot of that, a lot of those stats and things we just kind of throw aside because I, I'm convinced that you and I could probably go hit 250 in the Cactus League. It's just a really uh, nice Let's offensive crazy uh, Okay, 247. Yeah, it's a nice offensive environment. I know. Nice batting average, TJ. What would be your WRC plus? All right, fine, whatever. But still, for those young players to come up and gain some experience and gain some confidence, uh, Take a guy like Greg Allen last year. I talked to him in spring, and he was kind of wide-eyed and you know just trying to 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 gain a, a footing of of where he stands in a major league clubhouse in spring. And then he arrives later in the year, and he's part of a major league clubhouse, and he's he's kind of got that opportunity under his belt. And 
and he's got some familiarity. Same thing with, with Tyler Olson. He was certainly claimed, uh, what was it, July of 2016, so he had some familiarity with some guys, but then he was around in camp so that when he got called up later in the year, he was familiar with a lot of those guys. So, so that while, yes, some of this becomes very monotonous and guys like Lindor and Ramirez and you know, Kluber and all these guys probably don't need the amount of time that they have, I have to imagine there's quite a few guys that are thankful for for every opportunity they get in spring, not just in time, but just in their presence. Yeah, uh, it's I always marvel at the fact that it seems like new teammates already know everyone in in the clubhouse on their new team when they arrive. And I think a lot of it is is guys either have experience sharing a clubhouse in spring training or it's like like guys get to know each other so quickly and I guess you spend so much time either in the clubhouse or on a, on a plane or in the hotel um, that it, it becomes pretty easy to forge those those friendships but you, you you forget about like these guys spend 40 to 50 days together in, in a clubhouse in spring and even when they go their separate ways you still can can rely on that past relationship and it makes it easier to, to assimilate into a new clubhouse so it, it's amazing to me when like Someone gets called up, and everyone already has nicknames for him and stuff. And then I have to remember, oh yeah, this guy was in—he was with them in spring training the last two years, so they already have have that bond. And it's something like I, I often wonder if we put too much stock into that, you know, whether it's just something cliche. But I mean, how many players do you talk to where they reference that as being important? At some point, I have to believe it—it it holds some value. It, it might not be to the level that some people want to say that it is, but I, I think there's something to that, just that, that comfort of knowing where you stand. I mean, it's just like anybody starting a new job or being in a new situation, just knowing somebody, seeing familiar faces, being comfortable in your surroundings. Uh, it has to, that has to give you that edge that you're, you're kind of needing. Yeah. I mean, think about your first time covering spring training mm-hmm. to now. I mean, it's, it's, it's like that for everybody, no matter what your, like what your job is. So I, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I think it goes without saying, and it's, it's, it's why, you know, it's part of what Terry Francona preaches when he gets up and, and talks to the, the entire clubhouse at the beginning of spring. And it's, you spend so much time around these people that you spend more time with the, your teammates than you do with your families. And so you, you, you become close and, and that comfort helps you. I mean, any little advantage you can gain in, in professional sports you take. And, and that's certainly one of them. We'll have some of the under the radar storylines that we'll be following later this week for our diamond dialogue. But there's obviously some major things that are up in the air. We've mentioned Brantley at length and, and really Everything revolves around Brantley for like the mm-hmm. third consecutive spring. But there are so many things that, I mean, you look at Kipnis, where does he play? A lot of that is, it comes back to, to Michael Brantley. Is there a spot for Yandy Diaz on this roster? Well, maybe a lot of that comes to, down to Michael Brantley. Can they carry both Eric Gonzalez and Giovanni Urshela because they're both out of options? Well, there might be an extra roster spot if Brantley can't start the year on time. So there's just so much, and that's just that's just the tip of the iceberg for things that he that he's going to impact at the beginning of the year that makes it all, it's made it almost impossible for me to to run through some of these uh, camp countdown things that I've been writing at the athletic because there's just so much uncertainty when it comes to to his status. Yeah, and you can you could probably lump Brandon Geyer in there too. 
I, I think I think we are all under the assumption that Melvin Upton's going to make the opening day roster, but you know he fills a role that Austin Jackson and Rajay Davis have filled previously, and that doesn't you know with, with Brandon Geyer possibly out at the, for the beginning of the season that that still opens up another spot for an outfielder or if Jason Kipnis moves to the outfield for a little bit for an infielder. I mean, there's, yeah, th- this is, it's a jumbled mess and we're not going to have clarity probably until the end of spring when we have a better grasp on, on Brantley's status. And it's, yeah. it is like deja vu all over again. <laughs> but even then, Zach, it's like, okay, you learn, let's say we learn that he's fine and he's going to be on the opening day roster. Okay. That's great. But we've seen that before. We've seen him make the team. We've seen him have an all-star first half, although I don't think he should have been an all-star. He was and was pretty good when healthy through the first half of the year last year. And then something else happened with the ankle. So it's are we at a point now where fans are, are always going to be holding their breath with Brantley because you're at a point where he's had so many different things happen to him, whether it is the shoulder or the ankle or anything that has bogged him down over the past three years? You know, while it's there, that you know, how how do you get past that fear of of him having some sort of relapse? And then on top of that, if you're a front office, how how much how much anxiety do you feel knowing that you gave him twelve million dollars? And if he's healthy, he'll probably live up to that. But that's a huge question mark. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that they were probably discussing for months leading up to the decision because. They knew it was going to come quickly right after the World Series. So, I, look, uh, they, they they aren't the type of group that's going to sit there and, you know, just their their palms are going to be all sweaty every time he, he steps up to the plate because they're nervous and they want to make sure he cashes in on that $12 million contract. I think it's more so it's the decision they made. It's in the past. And, and how do they move forward and make sure that he's healthy and make sure that he's in the best position to be productive that he can be. If you're a fan, you absolutely deserve the right to, to be skeptical about his health, skeptical about the decision the front office made to pick up his option. And, and it's, I mean, we've seen it with players before Sizemore, Hafner. I mean, it, it's, it's not fair necessarily because it's not like, it's not like Brantley is a softy or something and just right. like, sits out when he's got a hangnail. It's, I mean, these are major surgeries that he's had. So it, it's, it's unpredictable and, and you never know what's going to happen. And, and so you just have to roll with it. But, but it, it's, you're right in the sense that even once we know the makeup of the opening day roster, there's still going to be question marks because it's like, okay, well, let's say Brantley's sidelined. Let's say he starts the year on the DL and that affords you the opportunity to carry both Urshela and Eric Gonzalez. Well, at some point, one of those guys becomes redundant, and do you just DFA them? They're both out of options. Well, like, what do you do? You just gonna yeah. give up on one of those guys? Because I think both will get claimed. So there, there, are, there's going to be a decision point with those two guys. Ryan Merritt fits into this category as well, where they have to make a decision on: Are we gonna carry this guy just to carry him because he's out of minor league options? even if he doesn't make our team as good as it could be, or do we have to look into trading this guy and, and try to get at least something for him before we ultimately DFA him at some point. So that that's, that's one of the things. And this is, again, it's all, it's this tangled web that Brantley's kind of at the center of. Um, but it's one of the things they're going to have to consider, not just 
over the next six weeks necessarily, but even once the season begins. I also think it's it's unfair for Brantley to take a lot of criticism, kind of like you were saying, that this, these aren't minor things that have happened to him. So I think it would be... I think it would be unwise for us to not point to how incredible it is that he's gotten back to where he's been, that he's fought through it, that he's been as productive as he was last year, all things considered. Because we know if if he's ever not playing, it's not for a lack of trying to get on the field. The guy never slows down. When is he when have you ever not seen him in the middle of some workout on the way to go? hitting the cage, just doing something to try to get back on the field. And I think we're probably, we're probably looking at a guy that any, anyone with a lesser work ethic wouldn't be getting back to these situations. But that also is kind of concerning too, because if he's having to fight this hard, and we know that he is, we know he's busting his ass to get back on the field and stay on the field. If he's, if he is having these sorts of issues and he can't stay on the field, you know, that's not something that is exactly that that should make anyone feel good at the same time. Yeah. I mean, it's there, there's nothing like we can all bitch about them picking up his option. It happened. It's in the past. There's nothing you can do about it. So we all might as well move on. Just like there's nothing we can do about his status. Like the Indians aren't going to rush him back. They're Mm going to do, whatever they think is the most sensible thing to do based on how he feels every day. So it's, it's, you kind of just have to roll with the punches and make decisions based on the Intel you have. And then I, I, I don't know what his status is exactly. I don't know what the, the trainers are thinking in terms of what a realistic timetable would be. And, and they don't share that with us anyway. They'll, they'll go step-by-step step on this is what he's doing. This is what he can do next. And it's all about taking it one day at a time and all those cliches. So it's, just it's going to be interesting as the spring unfolds we're probably not going to have answers to a lot of these questions until we're in the thick of the the march schedule and at that point even though i mean i think we saw when the indians went on that winning streak last year how the depth was was, was really the the most essential part of that that team is they just had they had so much depth they could beat you and there was someone different every night who was beating you and so that's going to help them again because it's going to help them like they at least have alternatives. And it's not like we're sitting here like, oh, man, if Brantley's not ready for opening day, they're screwed. What are they going to do? It's more so like, OK, well, just how are they going to fit all these pieces into this puzzle? So, you know, it's it's not it, it could be worse, I guess I'm saying. And so we'll see what happens. And I think we're all smart enough to know now also that your April roster is never the same as your September roster. And Colin Cowgill and <laughs> the Marlin birds and Juan Uribe's of the world will come and go. And the group you have at the end is, is the group that you want to go to war with most of the time. And so, you know, you, you, you find out what your deficiencies are and, and you fix them along the way. Speaking of that, what has made this like impossible to, to answer when asked by anyone is the level of, of free agents that are still out there, the number of people that are still looking for homes, and then because there are, are guys that probably would have signed minor league deals already if this were a normal offseason, are still left out there not signing because if I'm an outfielder, why do I want to sign with somebody only to find out five minutes later that they just signed J.D. Martinez and now I've signed with somebody I'm not going to get an opportunity with. So, so they've held back. They're waiting. And so this trickle-down still has not happened. 
and we're still waiting on a number of these guys. And I have to believe that increases the odds of at least maybe one or two guys that aren't on the roster right now are going to come strolling through those doors in the Goodyear clubhouse that weren't there before. And I mean, wouldn't, don't you think the odds of that happening are a little bit realistic, whether it's a non-roster guy or a guaranteed contract guy, but because there's, there's no precedent here. There's nothing to point to to kind of give us an idea of how this is going to unfold. I have no idea how to truly forecast that. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, remember Marlon Bird came to camp like the second or third week of March like, and, and then made the team. So, yeah, we could see more of that kind of thing happen. And it's going to be interesting because they're not letting teams <laughs> attend this this mini camp for the free agents so yeah hold on can we talk about that for a second i i I get uh, you don't want media in okay because you don't want to put a negative spin on any of the players that are there and you don't want to have to put them through that um to expose their story but if you're trying to get these guys signed don't you want teams in there looking at them to see what they're missing out on that seems stupid to me yeah, I, I agree. And I just, you know, we're at the point where, like, if you were a team that had lukewarm interest in player X in December, and that player is still out there, and you could have signed him at any point in the last two months, what, like, why are you going to suddenly jump at the opportunity now when there are all these other guys out there, and you also can't go, like, meet with the person? Like, yeah, it, it's... It's strange, and it makes me wonder if this is going to linger into. I mean, I mean, we're halfway through February, and mm-hmm. and there are really good players out there for any position you need. So, I, we we you know we've been talking since the winter meetings about how at some point these guys are going <laughs> to sign, and then there's going to be a ripple effect. And hey, I know that well, song. We're still waiting. Like. <laughs> So play that same song again. Play the same song. All right, same song, guys. It's yeah, I, I don't. This is bizarre. Um, and that's where we'll leave things this week. But I know you'll be in in uh, out in Goodyear next time we talk. You'll be there for the early portion. I'll be getting there next month, and we'll tag team the you know what out of this. But looking forward to the the next however long this is going to be our time together you realize we're going to see a lot more of each other than we are families at this point. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. Yeah. You know, I, I had took Linus for our final lunchtime walk in the park today for the next, we won't have another one of those for a few weeks. Uh, so it's, it's very, that's why I said it's, it's bittersweet. You know, it's, it's going to be nice to have the option to pick either Panda Express, Payway, or PF Chang's <laughs> for every single meal for a few weeks, but uh, it is—it's definitely bittersweet. But it's—it's it's nice to have baseball back, and and nice to be writing about stuff that uh, we are actually seeing with our eyes. <laughs> yes, things that we see with our eyes, as opposed to things we see with other parts of our bodies. If you'd like to subscribe to the Selvia's Godcast, you can do that on Apple Podcasts. You can do that on Bumpers. You can find our RSS feed on the link that we tweet out over at The Athletic. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the the growth of The Athletic over the past few days. How incredible is the team that we've built? It's um, it, it, impossibly incredible. Yeah, I mean, 
when you this time last year, you you joined, right? Yeah, yeah. And there it was were, like there just were like you. four of us. There were four <laughs> baseball writers in the company. I'm pretty sure. And now it's like when the Scranton branch merged with the Stamford branch. Yeah, although that didn't go so well for pretty much everybody involved. I'm hoping <laughs> that the the transfer of, of of power here goes a lot smoother than say when when Michael Scott and and uh, and Jim were elevated to the role of co-manager. So hopefully it goes a little bit more smooth than that. But before you ruin anything else of the office, I'm sorry. I still feel really bad. Uh, we will encourage everybody to check out uh, Zach, what he's written recently, whether it is his scouting series, which was tremendous. Again, pumping that up. And if you're a new subscriber, I highly recommend you go check that out. Uh, also, some of our previews this week, our podcasts that we do every single week, our Diamond Dialogues that we do weekly. So anybody that is just catching us for the first time, we've got a lot more down the, the pipe here for you that we hope you enjoy. But any parting words for the people that have been here with us forever and those that are, are brand new and just just hearing our voices for the first time? Jeez. Uh, no. All right. Well, if that doesn't fill you with joy. Hey, we just made it a whole podcast without talking about HPD. Well, it just happened. We're out of here. See you later. Have a good week, everybody.